Hello, it's me, Lily, a frog who lives in a pond and loves to tell stories. A long time ago, there lived an emperor. He had everything an emperor could want. A beautiful palace where he sat on a golden throne that looked out over vast tracts of fertile farmland and rugged mountain wilderness. The land was his. He was young and healthy, and he didn't just own land, he employed the very best musicians and dancers and artists and philosophers in his court and the most exquisite cooks in his kitchens. Make me dumplings, he might say, and cooks would bring a golden platter of dumplings made with ingredients from around the world to his throne and he would eat them while a musician strummed, a dancer danced, and a philosopher helped him tune into the flavors and savor the present moment. He kept storytellers, physicians, and engineers close to him. He built libraries and bridges and temples and statues and hospitals and strong armies to defend it all. He had a wife, three sons, and three daughters. He had everything an emperor could want, everything, until he learned of something he didn't have. The emperor heard of a nightingale that nested in his mountains every spring and sang so sweetly, so beautifully, that everyone who beheld her song stopped under whatever branch she was perched and wept. Small children and strong men alike would fall to their knees, young women with flowers in their hair and old crones with bent limbs and walking sticks, all who wandered under the forest boughs in which the nightingale sang, would stop, hold still, and feel their troubles and worries flow away as if washed in the current of a clean, fast river. Hers was a healing song, I must hear this song, said the emperor. Take me to the nightingale. It was not an easy journey. First, there was the task of finding out where in the mountains the nightingale lived. The mountain people were reluctant to say. Never heard of a nightingale, they responded. Never heard of a bird that could sing like that. But finally... Enough gold coins and bottles of medicine were exchanged for the little bird's location. The emperor's men marked the nightingale's position with a golden X on a silk paper map. And then there was the business of getting there. The emperor climbed onto the finest horse in his empire and rode towards the mountains. 
He sat proud atop his horse, whose mane and tail shone like gold in the bright day, flanked by soldiers on either side and followed by navigators, naturalists, poets, and painters. He rode until his horse threw a golden horseshoe. The emperor took this as a sign that he should walk, and so he hiked for two days until he turned an ankle on the rocks. Then he was lifted into a sedan chair with silk pillows and tasseled curtains all around him and carried up the mountain by skilled climbers. The travelers saw many beautiful birds on their way, but none of the birds' songs stopped them in their tracks. Until, in a hidden wood, past thundering waterfalls and treacherous rock faces and through dense forests with no trails, they arrived at the spot marked on their map. On a green bough sat a drab little brown bird holding a broken twig in her beak. We have been fooled, said the emperor aloud. And then he thought, but he didn't say, I must be losing my respect and power among the mountain people. The little bird, as if sensing his heartache, began to sing. Each of the travelers felt deeply that she sang just for them. Her song entranced them. It was so sweet and so radiant that the emperor not only wept but imagined a better future for his empire and for all people in it. He imagined a brighter, kinder future where every person could live their best lives. When the nightingale finished singing, the travelers wiped away the emperor's tears and their own. They got out a golden birdcage and the nets they had brought with them. But the emperor raised his hand to tell his men to stand down. He was a wise man, even before he set out for the mountains, and even wiser now after hearing the nightingale's song. He only wanted the nightingale to sing in his palace if she would come freely. And she did. The little bird traveled with the party back to the heart of the empire, the golden palace where she perched on a golden balcony, and she sang and sang and sang. The emperor's sprained ankle healed overnight. His oldest son's lingering cough went away. People came from all over to hear the song of the nightingale, and like the emperor, they imagined a brighter future and vowed to make the world a better place to be in all the large and small ways that they could. The empire became even richer, even more beautiful. The artists made finer art. The farmers grew more delicious, nutritious food. The engineers built stronger, more magnificent buildings and bridges, and the healers felt their powers grow. People took care of each other. People took pride in everything they made and did for each other. But a palace is not a hidden wood, and the nightingale could not stay. She was offered platters of fruit and a nest made of golden chains, and people followed her around with golden cups of nectar. But when the weather turned hot, the little bird flitted away, and where she went, no one knew. 
over the shining summer and the golden fall and through the cold, dark winter, people continued in the new way with less sorrow in their hearts, with more kindness, but their sorrows and worries crept back, and they began to doubt the emperor for not making the little bird stay. But finally, spring came, and as leaf buds and flowers opened in the imperial gardens and the countryside too, the nightingale returned to sing from the golden balcony. The clean, pure river of her voice flooded the palace with her healing song once more, and the people were glad. The emperor asked her to stay forever, but she insisted she could not. If she stayed in the palace, she would not be able to sing any more. So the emperor commissioned his best artisans to make a golden replica of the little brown bird. They recorded her song from sunup to sundown and made a music box with gears and cogs that fitted exactly inside a golden bird body. They decorated the outside with rubies, sapphires, diamonds, and finely worked rare metals. They wound up the little bird, and it sang, just like the original. No one would have been able to tell them apart if the replica didn't shine with gold and glitter with jewels. The replica worked. The song lifted the people up so much that the emperor insisted his craftspeople make copies to place all around the empire, by the river, in the hills, in every town center and temple and factory and school. They made them with gold paint instead of solid gold and imitation jewels so that they wouldn't cost too much, so that no corner of the empire would be without, and nobody had to travel too far to hear the healing song. The replicas worked so well that nobody even noticed the little brown bird flit away in the summer and arrive again the next spring, when the nightingale perched beside her gleaming, gem-encrusted counterfeit, nobody noticed her trying to sing a duet with the automaton made in her image. The nightingale did not need to be noticed, but she was frustrated. This other bird sang an old song. The song was rigid and metallic, and it was stopped in time. It would not flow and harmonize with her new song. She flew away. The replicas worked for a time. Their song healed old sorrows and past griefs. But there were new sorrows and new griefs and no new songs. Bit by bit, musicians stopped making music. There was no need. The mechanical birds were everywhere and their song was perfect. Little by little, the dancers stopped dancing. The artists stopped making new art. The chefs stopped trying new recipes, and the engineers stopped improving their designs. The emperor's knees and back began to ache. He started walking with a limp, then a cane. His hair and beard went gray. He sat on his golden throne with a heavier and heavier heart. The thing with gold is that it dazzles and shines. It makes people want what others have. And an empire is made out of gold. It is made out of wanting and the power to give or withhold. A new tyrant 
wanted what the emperor had. He wanted his golden palace and golden throne. He wanted his armies and his land. He wanted the golden bird that sung from his golden balcony. And he took it. The tyrant took power first with lies and then with force. He tormented the farmers around the palace with fires and raids, and he blamed it on the emperor's weakness. Then he fought the emperor with his own corrupted army. The gray-haired emperor knew he could not win, but he must die fighting for his empire. His sons, his wife, and his eldest daughters went down in battle with him. But before he fell, he passed the silk map with the location of the nightingale to his youngest daughters. Go, he told them, to the mountains. And they went. One of the first things the new emperor did was smash all the little golden birds throughout the empire. He wanted to be the only one who could hear the beautiful nightingale's song. He had the plans for making more replicas destroyed too. Then he had the only one. But in time, the replica's gears and cogs wore out. Fix it, repair it, he commanded. But nobody knew how. So he had the golden nightingale melted down and turned into a jewel-encrusted crown. He had everything an emperor could want, a beautiful palace where he sat on a golden throne that looked out over vast tracts of fertile farmland and rugged mountain wilderness, the land was his. He had his youth and good health, and he had the power he needed to build a more shining, more glittering empire. Take down the hospitals and libraries, he commanded. Build sports arenas and hotels and casinos and exclusive resorts. His people did what they were told, and his armies defended it all. He met with other kings and emperors and told them of his might his wealth. But he heard again and again that the most beautiful, coveted thing in his empire was the song of the nightingale. And he didn't have that. He didn't have everything an emperor could want. He had less than the emperor before him had. It made him blind with envy. I will capture that bird, he resolved. Take me to the nightingale that sings in my mountains, commanded the emperor with the golden crown. But nobody could tell him where the nightingale was. Nobody would tell him where the nightingale was. Whenever he or his men would get near to the hidden wood, they would be led astray by a cheap replica, wound up, singing, perched on a branch. The mountains were full of the musicians and artists and storytellers and philosophers and poets and healers and makers who had walked away from the falling empire. The late emperor's daughters were there too. They made it past the thundering waterfalls and treacherous rock faces and through dense forests with no trails. They were mountain people now. The mountain people would not reveal the location of the hidden wood for medicine nor gold. They did not need medicine nor gold. They had the sweet, pure song of the nightingale who sang to them in the springtime before she flew away over the mountains to wherever it is she flew. <laughs>